Welcome to Salt and Light. My name is Olga Chikobi. I was born in Limpopo and I've been here in Cape Town just a little over three years. Uh, I work full-time in missionary and um, yeah, I'm here today with Ron Kronz from America. Ron Kronz, why don't you tell our friends a little bit uh, about yourself? Yes, uh, thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm a, uh, a, a, a pastor in Washington, D.C., and we pastor a church that specializes in street missions. We go to campuses, and we go to do anti-abortion work, and we preach the gospel, we evangelize, we uh, are involved in sending and receiving missionaries and going as missionaries, and we really enjoy that aspect of our work. I'm a, I'm a husband of one woman and father of two girls and two grandchildren now, and delighted really to be with you here today. I've been to Africa many times, and this is an express opportunity for me, and thank you for having me. Uh, I would like to continue the talk about what's on the table here, which is child sacrifice. We like to call it a clinical name of abortion, but it is indeed child sacrifice. It's really not that much different from the Old Testament practice of burning children alive because that's what we do. We just use chemicals and we do it behind closed doors and we find other ways to do it. And not only that, it's frequently, as we're going to see, is that it finds itself named among the people of God, which is part of our problem. I've been describing the difference between secular pro the secular pro-life movement, which tries to accomplish things apart distinctly from God, and this idea of abolition, which takes position, the position, the biblical position, that uh, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this led by Jesus Christ. We need to be evangelical. We need to be providential. We need to be gospel-centered. We need to be driven by the body of Christ, and we need to not take compromise. We don't gradually repent, and we should not gradually repent in our legislation. We need to call our legislation to repent. And what we had been dealing with in the last time together is this idea that women are victims, and so we have to accommodate the law, make laws that accommodate that, that the women are the victims. And I, I've been undressing that a little bit, but I'm going to go a little further. In the book of Mark, in the seventh chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ says himself, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. You see, the problem is we have murderers. People are murdering their children because it's convenient to do so and because they have murder in their heart. That's why it's going on. And so... Any law, if we have laws against murder, they should apply for every degree of child. When you deal with it, when we talk about a, a preborn child, they have their own DNA. They're just in a stage of development, in a different location in their development, but they are people. They are people just as much as you were a person. I've heard people say, well, we need to, we need to do something for living people. They're living. They're absolutely living and pro, even choice people, if, they, if you want to call them pro-choice, agree with that. So there's no question that 
anyone who's ever been to the abortion providers that these are not really victims. They show up, uh, they show up uh, trying to shock us, yelling at us, as I've mentioned before. They often show up in nice cars. They're well-dressed. The man is waiting in the car. They're not under duress. They're not starving. They're not killing because either they will eat or the baby will eat. Uh, and they, they're killing their children because it's convenient. Some even are doing so recreationally. But what I want to talk about, so it comes out of the heart, which needs to be addressed. But I want to address another uh, factor that we're talking about how we should order our laws, how the laws of the land should look. I, a frequent um, objection that I get is, well, what about cases of rape and what about cases of incest? Well, think about this now. Think that thing through. What you're saying when you say the child should be killed if there has been a rape is you were saying that the child should be punished for the sins of the father. What world are you living in that that's okay? This child who's done nothing to anybody is now supposed to be punished for the sins of the father. And that has to do with a breakdown in the way laws are written, the way we view laws. In the Bible, we have certain... We have certain uh, I'll get to that. We have certain guidelines for how we should make laws. I have a uh, young girl in our uh, in our fellowship, and she had been raped in nearby Baltimore. And I went to her trial, and I, I, uh, and the man was uh, exonerated, and he wasn't convicted. But this is what I want to share with you: is that he had two prior convictions and he was about 30 years old. So this man has been, he's, he's, he's raped at least two women that we know about, and he's walking around at the age of 30. If biblical law had been pressed into the matter, he would have been executed, you see? And that's, they're executing the wrong person. We're trying to kill the child instead of, we're trying to kill the child who's a victim of it, that's a true victim. The woman's a victim. You're gonna you're gonna kill the child, but you're going to save the man who raped the woman, which is what's happening. And so the Bible addresses that in Ecclesiastes, because in the eighth chapter in the eleventh verse, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set on them to do evil. What we need from our civil magistrates is justice. We need them to bear the sword of God. And twice in Romans 13, it says of the civil magistrates, the rulers, that they are God's minister. That word could be translated as the same word that we have for deacon. They serve God. They're not supposed to be giving us snacks and uh, uh, and cradle-to-grave care. That's not their job. We need them to punish evildoers. The child is not an evildoer. Why? What kind of world do we live in that thinks you punish the child for the sake of the sins of the father? But one thing that has held us up is that we have this idea that all these women are victims or even the father. But if we don't have laws that have punishment, then the law, as I have said before, is not a law, but it is only a suggestion. It is convenient to kill children. That's the whole thing about it. Now, let me ask you this, beloved. What if it were convenient to kill you? 
Would that be okay? Would you want would you want laws that regulate when you can be killed? Would you want laws that regulate where you can be killed and how you can be killed? You would want the law to forbid that you would be killed. Well, what inasmuch as Christ said, as you have not done for the least of these, you've not done for for me. Another uh, another objection that I frequently get is, what about the life of the mother? First of all, that is extraordinarily, profoundly rare that the mother's life is actually in danger. But here's the thing, is because we've misabused, we've abused justice, it's so convenient to kill babies that there's no reason that the medical community has to devote resources to actually addressing life of the mother issues. They just kill the baby. If they think the baby may have Down syndrome, they kill the baby. If they think the baby might be might not be wealthy or if the baby might not have enough food to eat, they just kill the baby. That's a terrible version of justice, and we have to repent of that. That's what, and I'm talking to you, Christians. I'm talking about the, I'm not talking about something you got in, that came in from the outside. I'm talking about our own problem. Now, with regards to the United States, the pro-life movement has relied on the supremacy of the Supreme Court. We think if we can get enough Supreme Court justices, we can turn over, we can overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, we've had pro-life justices. We, in fact, I think we have right now six pro-life justices and three non-pro-death uh, justices. So why do we still have Roe v. Wade? Well, the Supreme Court justices keep pointing back to the, to the pre precedence of the previous courts. So in other words, they keep pointing back to what was done before. And they say, no, it's the law of the land. It is not the law of the land. It is an opinion of an of the court. So here's the approach we've been taking in the United States, and I want to offer this up also for South African Christians. We believe in state rights. Now, and, and our Constitution affirms that, that the state has the right to legislate as they see fit. They don't have to obey the civil government. And so what we believe is we can abolish abortion in a state, in a given state. Now, numerous times in the United States, we have been able to put forward bills in Texas and Idaho and Indiana. I personally have worked on uh, uh, abolitionist bills in North Carolina and in Oklahoma. Do you know who blocks them? Gonna, you're not going to be happy about this. The pro-life movement. The pro-life, it's the pro-life politicians who have blocked those bills. In Oklahoma, where I personally worked to put forward a bill uh, to abolish uh, abortion statewide, there are 40 state senators. 33 of those state senators are pro-life. So you would think, this is a slam dunk. We are, this is automatic. We've got 33 out of 47. We, should, we've got, we don't have a majority. We have a super majority. We, we should easily be able to abolish abortion in Oklahoma. So we put forward the bill. We put it before the committee, committee of 10 people. Seven out of 10 of the committee people were pro-life people, including the, com the committee chair. It did not get out of committee. They crushed it in the committee. They didn't even bring it to vote. They put up some legislative thing to limit 
to regulate abortion rather than to abolish it. Friends, this is the pro-life movement. This is the secular pro-life movement that we've been voting for. And the reason that they continue in this, as I go deeper into this, is that it represents, abortion represents a big voting block. They get an automatic vote for just saying they're pro-life. Well, if abortion is outlawed, they lose their voting block. There's a lot of money that's being changed hands because of people being perennial, perennially pro-life. Once you abolish something, there's no more money in it. The pro-life politicians have no incentive to abolish abortion unless we demand it. They are going to, they're not going to end it unless we start demanding it. And the problem really lies, friends, in us, in the church, the people of God have not acted like we haven't had a Christian response to baby murder. And this is, this is you know, part of our problem also is, is that we, we have this notion that this has been imposed on us by these bad guys. And it has been to some degree, but it's not just these bad guys, it's us. I'm reading in Jeremiah in the 32nd chapter in the 32nd verse. This is the word of the Lord. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they had done to provoke me to anger, they say, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophet, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned the back and not the face, although I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction let me pause there. Notice that the problem is not some outside invader. It's not the Philistines. It's not the Assyrians. It's not some, it's not the it's not the Hittites. It's it's not who you think it is. It's coming from the inside. It's the people of God, the people of Jerusalem, the princes, the priests, the prophets, they're all on the same page. We want baby sacrifice. If we didn't want it, it would not continue. We have not sought righteousness. And the Bible says elsewhere, woe to those who declare iniquitous decrees. We have preferred this to losing our power. I mentioned about that in our last discussion. Uh, we have to demand the end of abortion. It, they're not going to end it on their own. They're going to do what we tell them to do. And we have told them that it is okay to continue regulating child sacrifice. And that's what they do. And that's what is going to continue until we stand up. And I should just say this by word of warning, is you remember when Cain killed Abel, the blood of Abel cried out from the ground for judgment. How much more do the millions of babies' blood cry out for judgment, not just to the pro-life politicians, not just the pro-choice politicians, but the, but, the, but the silent Christian people who are unwilling to bring this into conflict with the culture of our day. Each Christian needs to be engaged in, in attacking the, the abuse and the evil of our age. If you were a Christian in Nazi Germany, and you needed to be speaking out against what was going on. If you, and we all know that. If you were a Christian 
in the 1850s and the United States, you needed to be speaking out against slavery. We would only speak about those things after they're past. Now here's the evil of our age. It's in front of us. How will you be remembered? Is one of those people who quietly sat by and said, well, they're not bothering me. Oh, they're going to bother you. It's coming to you because it doesn't stop at the abortion mill, but I'm not going to reduce myself to preaching just yet. I won't go back to that. But I do want to say that we have to look at ourselves. And by the way, I've done my share of research on this. I talk to churches and I ask them, what are you doing? Will you get in this fight? Will you involve yourself in this fight? And in the United States, they all do two things, and let me give them to you. We give to, pre, uh, uh, we give to PRCs. Those are pregnancy resource centers, which are fine. They have diapers. They have formula. They have blankets and sonograms. All of that is wonderful. But again, it presumes that the parents are killing their babies because they lack resources. But what we saw from the beginning is that murders come out of the heart. Furthermore, by giving to resource centers, you're not even touching the real battle. The real battle is in the legality and the cultural acceptability of killing babies. Uh, when David, here's a biblical example. When David went out with his army, a small army of 600 people, this happened twice. They went into battle. Two, they had 600 people. 400 of them went into battle. 200 of them stayed behind to watch the supplies. That's a good ratio. 400 in battle, 200 watching the supplies. The pregnancy resource centers are supply centers. That's fine. Somebody should be taking care of the supplies. In the Christian world in which we live, 599 are guarding the supplies while they leave one guy out there in the battle. Now, I can tell you another example from Scripture. When, uh, when David wanted to kill, uh, when he wanted to kill uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband, he left him up in the battle by himself. And that's what's happened, is the, is the, is the Christians who are out there fighting, they've been left to die in the battle. And that's and, and not only that, the children have been left behind by the battle. We've retreated from that wall and allowed them to be, uh, allowed them to be abused and killed and murdered into perpetuity for decades now. And all we have to offer is regulating laws and good moral opinions. Friends, that's not a Christian response to child sacrifice, to what's going on. 63 million babies in the United States and, and, and more in South Africa. So many babies have been killed. Do we think that this will not come back on us as it goes with the king, it goes with the prince, it goes with the prophet, it goes with the people of Judah, it goes with all the people of Israel. We cannot hold ourselves harmless with our good moral opinion hidden among people who agree with us. The second thing we do besides giving to pro uh, pregnancy resource centers as we vote pro-life. The problem is, is that the pro-life politicians are the ones who are keeping it legal. I hold my hand up to God by God's grace. This is true, is that we have done every time we try to abolish abortion in a state, it's always the pro-life guys who get in the way, who sometimes even lobby against it. 
That's a problem. So we think we can vote it. We have to be on the street agitating, as I had said. We have to give out information, legislating, giving assistance. It has to come from the body of Christ. The, the, uh, another thing I might mention is that, uh, that the pro-life movement typically believes in exceptions. We believe that when I was pro-life guy, I, I believe, you know, that, that, that rape and incest and life of the mother should be exceptions. But this is what most people don't understand, is that moderate pro-choice people feel the same thing. There is no difference between the pro-life movement and moderate pro-choicers. We're exactly the same. We think we know better than God, as had been read, read in, the, in the past episode by Olga on, in the 139th Psalm. God makes it clear that the person in the womb has equal value. Amen. So, amen. Amen. I got an amen in the studio here. <laughs> so, uh, I want to make a, another point. Uh, back in, uh, I think it was in the 90s, is Hillary Clinton, liberal, pagan, secularist um, woman, uh, said uh, that, we, that, that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Here's the thing is the pro-life movement people feel the same way. There's no difference. We think it should be safe. Safe for whom? I've been too many times to see hundreds, thousands of babies being killed. It's not safe for them. So it should be legal because, because of rape and exceptions. And it should be rare. And instead, it is not rare. And all one need do is go out. Just go out, friend. Go to where they kill babies. Just stand there on the sidewalk and see what happens. You'll see them going in. You'll see them going in, and they're, and, and, and they're not victims. You're going to see for yourself. But we don't want to interpose. We don't want to get involved with this fight. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, but I want to get to that in a minute. I was talking to an elder, another elder, a couple of years ago, and he said that we need to have laws that change hearts. There are no laws that change hearts. The law is designed as a restraint, as a tutor. God uses these things to teach us what's right and what is wrong. We have accepted the notion that these children have less value than born people. And God is not going to hold us harmless. So we need to do we need to begin acting like children are really being killed and start addressing it as such. Now, my wife oversees an organization called uh, Help Before Abortion. Now, mind you, there's a massive organization called Help After Abortion, but this is a smaller group called Help Before Abortion. And she makes this report. She says that 70% of of clinical abortions in the United States are done by professing Christian women. Do you hear me? 70% are done by professing Christian women. Do you know why the, the pastor is reluctant to preach about this? It's because he knows that there's a, there's a body of women out there that he doesn't want to offend. But we have to call people with gentleness and respect to repent 
They're not going to call themselves to repent. We have to call it out for what it is. We have to begin to treat abortion for what it is. So uh, to the text, in fact, I was at a, a rally. Uh, it's been a couple of years ago, and the governor of our state in Virginia decided that it was okay not only to kill children all the way up to term, all the way to nine months. I mean, that they could actually be in the process of being born. Do you hear me? That they could be, they could be, they could be in the process of being born, and it's okay to kill them, to dismember them. We have somebody in Bethesda, Maryland, a guy by the name of Carhart, this butcher, and he he cuts up babies when they are ready to be born. He, it takes him two days to do it. He has to carve their bodies up in the mother's womb, and we sit silent, and that sidewalk is almost empty most of the time in front, void of Christians doing or saying anything about it. Well, our guy, Governor Northam, decided that we not that wasn't enough. Then he decided that not only can babies be killed all the way up to term, but that they can, if the mother doesn't want them, they can be left to die. And what's the church doing? Talking about COVID, talking about football, talking about our programs, raising our hands in praise and worship as though we love the Lord. The Lord warns against such thing. He says, read in Amos in the fifth chapter. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. It's time for us to seek justice. Jesus Christ even says, he says, he, he, he says you've, in Matthew 23, 23, you've overlooked the weightier matters of the law, which are justice mercy and truth. Friends, we have to seek this on God's terms and on God's terms alone. He, Jesus Christ, must lead this or we are going to fail and we deserve to fail and we have the punishment of God to deal with. And I don't want that. I love the Lord and I love you and I love the body of Christ. His name needs to be exalted on all the earth. It's time for the Christians to take a stand. Beloved, stand up. Look up uh, abolishhumanabortion.com, help before abortion. If you want to get in this, there's, it's easy to get into it. Get into it, but stop just giving your money to pro-life politicians. Stop just voting. Stop just giving to pregnancy resource centers. That is never going to end abortion. It's going to end when we care enough to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's when it's going to be ended. And may the Lord richly bless you as you pursue the kingdom of God on behalf of our most vulnerable neighbors. Amen. Friends, you had that um, abortion kills babies, and it also harms the mother, both physically, mentally, uh, you know, emotionally, and, and spiritually. We need to, to, to confess our sins to the Lord and we need to turn from our wicked ways. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is from 1 John 1, um, 9. So let us do what is right before the Lord. My name is Olga Chikovi. This is Salt and Light and we are signing off.